0: Thank you for listening to the Statehouse Takeout. We encountered some production issues this week, but we pressed on with the podcast and are happy to present it to you here. We'll be back to normal next week. Thanks again for listening. The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order.
1: Let's gavel in for this week's Statehouse Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the Statehouse News Service. Here's Sam Doran
0: well we said we'd be back here again preparing for another budget week and here we are this is the State House takeout a weekly look at the news of Beacon Hill and uh, we're joined as always by Chris Lasinski, Katie Lennon and Matt Murphy Colin Youngs out this week hi guys greetings
2: happy Friday happy Friday,
0: happy Friday. Uh, back on Tuesday Senate Ways and Means Committee rolled out their draft of a Forty-two point seven billion dollar spending plan for next fiscal year. Uh, this was uh, Senate Ways and Means Chairman Michael Rodrigues' uh, first uh, budget at the helm of that committee. Chris Laskinski, you were down there for the rollout. Um, what What are some of the high points of uh, of this? Uh, Senate Ways and Means budget, and, and they actually sided with the governor on a couple of his new tax ideas that the House had uh, had left out of their
2: version. Yeah, I, I think the, the the bottom line is the same as the, the governor's and House's budgets: $42.7 billion. That's the yeah, figure they agreed to early in the year. Um, it, it, like you said, it, what's interesting here is the House basically sh- stayed away from all new revenue ideas during their budget process. Um, uh, whereas the Senate here has gone back and added back in the tax on opioid manufacturers and vaping products that Governor Charlie Baker proposed back in January when he unveiled his proposal. Um, you know, On top of that, Chairman rodriguez told us that uh, he expects that members of the Senate will file other revenue-generating amendments and that he plans to allow any and all debate on those to go forward. Um, We haven't had too much time to go through the amendments, or at least just a little bit before we're recording. Come on, we've had uh,
3: almost two hours.
2: (laughs) Uh, But there
3: are how many amendments? About 1,150.
0: All right. (laughs) I'm
3: rounding up.
0: Fair enough. But some of those amendments uh, uh, are revenue amendments, right?
3: Yeah, and um, when... Chairman Rodrigues uh, talked about it, the budget with reporters this week. He did say that they would be open to discussion, uh, open to discussing revenues. He kind of drew some some contrasts uh, a little bit with his perception as a uh, former House lawmaker of the House budget, saying the Senate has a uh, huh. member driven budget process and they like to take a kind of team approach to, to working their way through everything. And it uh, looks like they're going to have a lot to work through.
0: Yeah, he emphasized that they do uh, focus on more uh, open chamber
2: debate in, in the Senate. Chris, and that being said, you know we've got a couple of amendments filed, but the base Ways and Means version just has those opioid manufacturing taxes and vaping product taxes. There's no broad-based tax increases. There's no other real new revenue other than you know a higher amount expected from uh, marijuana. Uh, that is, legal sales have begun. Um, this budget does not include sports betting revenue that the governor had anticipated. Senators followed the house there, and figuring that that legislation won't be done in time to to really count on it. Sure. Um, and you know that revenue outlook kind of uh, drew some some mixed reactions from across the spectrum. Um, you actually had Republicans in the Senate more or less pleased with the way that this budget came out. Uh, praising the fiscal discipline and allocating more money to the stabilization fund, and a lot of progressive groups, pretty quickly uh, the day after the budget was out, were frustrated that you know senators so far have not made more of a push for for new revenue. But as
0: you noted in your lead on that story, Chris, uh, uh, Senator Rodriguez is a moderate who, when he took this post, uh, described his politics as the boring middle. Yes, yeah, so yeah,
2: that's
1: right. And I think I think we also I think Chris, you also quoted Chairman Rodriguez saying. Uh, that he thinks there are uh, more than sufficient revenues in the state coffers uh, to pay for uh, the spending priorities that the Senate has laid out in this budget. So it doesn't seem, at least at the outset, while they may have a lot more debate perhaps than we saw in the House, uh, I'm not sure we're seeing a real appetite uh, from Senate leadership so far at least to uh, to grab for more revenue aside from those few modest tax of uh, that you mentioned.
3: I really am interested, too, to seeing how that dynamic plays out with the, the Senate going in for the governor's taxes. Usually when you have that kind of three-legged stool, it's the, the House and the governor who are closer to the same page. So. Huh, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: yeah, and of course we saw the Senate also siding with the governor again on his mass health uh, drug price negotiation proposal, putting back a lot more of the teeth that the House uh, stripped out, which would which would be harder on pharmaceutical manufacturers and force them to do more, uh, perhaps to disclose prices and perhaps even appear in, in public hearings and face questioning over some of these higher-priced uh, pharma products that are driving healthcare spending in mass.
0: Now, Chris, uh, this Senate Ways and Means budget gives uh, a boost to Chapter Seventy uh, funding and and also some targeted increases in uh, special education and charter school
2: reimbursements. That's right. Um, you know, We hear, I think, every single budget rollout, no matter who is doing the rolling out, calls about historic investments in education. Well, compared to the previous two versions we've seen, this is the highest amount uh, uh, compared to the House budget passed last week. The Senate Ways and Means adds another $50 million in Chapter 70 allocation to, to cities and towns to help fund education. Um, on top of that, it's $25 million uh, more to help with special education reimbursement costs, another $10 million for charter school reimbursement. Um, you know, Some things were cut out from, from the House's approach. Uh, there wasn't a separate low-income student fund as the House had done. But uh, basically what, what Chairman Roderick said is this money is a, a down payment ahead of anticipated reform coming this year to how the, the uh, Chapter 70 formula actually works and operates.
1: Yeah, the other thing I think that's important to think about when we look at the Senate budget is that uh, while people are sort of still riding this high from April revenues and this uh, currently what looking to be a billion dollars in surplus revenue to spend, that doesn't really impact the planning for FY20 so much. They agreed to their revenue back in January, so this is sort of a, a net zero. Game here where if you spend more on Chapter 70, you have to cut out spending elsewhere. And we saw the Senate put less money towards nursing homes, for instance, than the House did. There's less money for charter schools. And some of these decisions are also being made with an eye towards conference committee negotiations to come in the future. You'll see the Senate deliberately leave certain policy proposals out or not include certain funding in their budget knowing that when they get into these negotiations with the House, they want some, they want some chits to trade uh, so uh, they can go back and forth.
0: Sure. What might the House be saving uh, to trade? What, what, what do we see them hold on to?
1: That's a great question, Sam. And by virtue of the House going first, they get to sort of uh, lay the marker down. So you saw the Speaker put some priorities of his in, nursing homes being one. You saw things like that $2 million uh, fund to boost the restaurant industry. Uh, things like that. So uh, the Senate, by being able to go second, they get to kind of pick and choose. I mean, there's always going to be differences in these priorities, and uh, those will uh, get sorted out over time. But, uh, you know, again, just looking forward to these conference committee talks, I think uh, some of these decisions in the Senate don't necessarily reflect a value statement, uh, necess- that the Senate uh, doesn't support some of these proposals, but it may just be a negotiating
0: tactic. All right. Well, uh, speaking of Chapter Seventy funding, uh, local education funding, uh, we do want to uh, we do want to talk about the potential lawsuit that might be forming, uh, Katie, uh, that some mayors from a few cities were talking about this week. But before that, um,
2: how did this budget treat uh, UMass funding, Chris? This budget. Uh, contained the same funding level as the governor's budget and the House's budget, but included a provision requiring UMass not to increase in-state tuition and fees for the upcoming academic year. And that basically runs directly contrast to testimony from UMass leaders themselves, who said that if a tuition freeze was going to happen next year, they'd need $10 million more than what the governor and the House had laid out for them. So basically, in short, the Senate said, we're not giving you any more money, but we are looking to to bar you legally from increasing those tuition and fees next year uh yeah Rodriguez said that um he, he thinks they can find a way yeah yeah he, he basically told reporters that he, he thinks that it's on umass to figure out how to achieve that goal without the uh requested increase in funding. Yeah, okay.
3: and we've pretty much heard swiftly and strongly from umass that the way they would find is by cutting 22 million dollars across the four undergraduate campuses um the, the math there is weird at first glance because it's a $10 million shortfall, but $22 million it cuts. But the, the language in the Senate budget has diverts or precludes more money. They'd be hoping to get money from uh, technology student technology fees. And there's also some language written in that would require the preservation of funding for UMass Boston centers and institutes at fiscal 18 levels. Um, so there's been, that takes a chunk out of the overall budget then. Um, so there, the campuses are warning students about what they would expect from cuts, kind of a, a messaging on the campuses going on. And, you know, ultimately, we'll, we'll see this shake out and probably the conference committee process that, that Matt mentioned. There's a, a couple amendments that would fund uh, UMass a little bit higher, one for $5 million, uh, one with the $10 million, um, and a boost to all the colleges and universities
0: and one of those campuses uh, Dartmouth is right near uh, Senator Rodriguez's district why why might he be playing so hard with UMass
3: it's a good question and, and one we you know might want to pose to the chairman himself but uh, in the meantime we've certainly, heard some frustration from senators before around UMass. Uh, issues like the Amherst Campus's acquisition of the, the Mount Ida property have been hotly discussed on the Senate floor. So there's a, a, a lot of different opinions uh, about the, the state university system.
1: There is a feeling among some lawmakers, both in the Senate and in the House, that UMass, uh, while well, they're always coming back year after year asking for more money and uh, complaining, and rightly so, that the uh, state support for higher education has been on the decline over the past, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, but some lawmakers do have the feeling that UMass could do more to, could, to trim their own uh, spending, particularly on salaries for higher level higher level executives and, uh, and areas like that. So you'll see them want to tighten their belts a bit before they spend money and Uh, The Senate debate will really be interesting because while uh, the conference committee negotiations between the House and Senate could uh, take a look at this language that would force a freeze in tuition fees for students, the funding levels themselves, if the Senate doesn't add more money through an amendment uh, during this debate, that funding level will be set when it goes into the conference process. So this is really the last chance. And we know Senate President Spilka talked about having a meeting coming up with a chance of sorry, Mass president now, Marty Meehan, uh, and I'm sure they will have plenty to say to one
0: another. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Katie, but we, we noted that we, we do want to talk about that potential lawsuit on the horizon, um, and, and we're talking about uh, mayors from Brockton, New Bedford, and Worcester.
3: That's right, yeah, and we, I, I do want to be clear that although this conversation kind of bubbled to the surface this week, it, it's not a new one, um, some mm-hmm. of these mayors have been talking about this, since last year.
0: Right. John Mitchell even said this is sort of a Groundhog Day yeah. uh, discussion.
3: You know, we've seen education funding lawsuits. Um, well, not maybe us personally, but we, the people of Massachusetts in 1993 and, <laughs> in, in, uh, in again, in the early 2000s. And, you know, the, the messaging uh, when these mayors gathered together this week was pretty much, you got to do something. You've been saying it, nothing happened last year when the education funding reform bill collapsed at the last minute and we're not going to go away we need to see something um and well, they didn't want to put a, a hard deadline on it either hmm. though so it's uh it's all out there what's the legal argument so the state's constitution um spells out a, a obligation to provide an adequate education to all uh, public school-aged children and the Part of the argument here is that that's, the times have changed and that's no longer happening. Um, a lot of this has to do with what our regular listeners will have heard me talk about many times, and the average person spending time on or near Beacon Hill has heard for even longer than that the 2015 findings in the Foundation Budget Review Commission dealing with the, the unaccounted for or improperly accounted for expenses of employee benefits, uh, special education and teaching low-income students and English language learners. And it's uh, these uh, gateway cities that say they're especially hard hit by it. Their demographics have changed over time. The numbers of English language learners, of low-income students, of, of homeless students, of students with multiple needs who come in and out of the district, um, students who are more expensive to educate, those numbers have gone up.
0: So how long are these folks willing to wait before they press forward with some kind of legal action?
3: Well, that's, in, that's an interesting question. Um, a few of the, the reporters who were at this uh, event this week really tried to push them on that to get a, a timeline that would trigger it. Um, and they wouldn't really give one. They wouldn't put a hard time on, like, you know, we'll give you to the start of the school year. We'll give you to the start of the fiscal year. Um, they, you know they understand it's a process and it takes time, and I don't think they wanted to box anyone into a corner.
0: And they know it's budget season right now.
3: Exactly. Um, there was some talk that um, one of the mayors said it had been indicated to him that they'll really turn in earnest to this after the budget. Um, and I know we have seen the education committee working on this issue. They've held the hearings on the kind of major chapter seventy reform bills. Um, they've been visiting communities. We've seen just in the building, uh, K-12 Education Commissioner Jeff Riley's up here a lot.
0: He is, yeah.
3: I, I don't know. I mean, part of it is just because he's a state <laughs> figure, but right. there could be some talks going on with him. There there are signs of motion, but no uh, hard and fast indicators of when something's going to pop. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, we'll be watching for when it does. Thanks, Katie. Thanks. Now, Matt, you were over at uh, 1 Beacon Street yesterday uh, for a little uh, sit down. You were too, Sam. So was I. (laughs) So was I. (laughs) Uh, For a sit down with uh, Associated Industries of Massachusetts new president and CEO, John Regan. Um, One of the uh, most interesting topics to come up there was uh, some edits to the so-called grand bargain bill uh, from last year. Things that uh, he said need tightening up. Um, Fill us in on how that Uh, how that new law has been rolling out, and uh, uh, some of the issues that they're looking to address.
1: Yeah, well, as you mentioned, the proverbial nationwide search for a new uh, president and CEO of AIM, Associate Industries of Massachusetts, landed right down the hall at one beacon on John Regan, who had been their uh, executive vice president of government affairs, and Regan, a well-known figure here on Beacon Hill, actually, I, I believe, worked for Tom Finneran back in the day, and uh, he's kind of come up through these hallways, and uh, he'll be taking over for Rick Lord on May 20th when uh, Lord steps down. He's retiring after 20 years at the head of AIM, which uh, is uh, you know one of the m- more influential lobbying groups up here. And mm-hmm. one of the first orders of business, as you mentioned in, when we talked to Regan, uh, that he brought up was the uh, need to uh, try and convince the legislators to fix the so-called grand bargain law that they passed last summer. And a big part of that law was the new paid family and medical leave uh, law, that uh, payroll taxes are slated to kick in on uh, July 1st, and that will help pay for these benefits that workers can start taking advantage of uh, in uh, January of 2020. But he says that uh, that law was written so quickly last summer after the Supreme Court knocked uh, the millionaire's tax off the ballot, and that really uh, caused the ball to really start rolling quickly on Uh, compromises being made between the business community and progressive groups like raise up that that law was written so fast that there were things that they had agreed to that were left out of the bill uh, completely. There were uh, mistakes he says that were made. So uh, aim is working with raise up and others that were part of those grand bargain negotiations to present the legislature with a package of uh, changes that they hope uh, will uh, be adopted And one of those, uh, he said, could be a possible postponement of the payroll taxes going into effect on July 1. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, that would be one of the more significant changes. Other things he mentioned were things like uh, how unemployment insurance costs would be calculated for businesses who bring in temporary workers to fill in for workers who are on leave. Uh, Some of these things, he says, were agreed to uh, by negotiators, but were left out of the final bill. But Uh, If all of these things uh, lead up to a postponement of the payroll taxes going into effect, that could be a significant change.
0: So with those taxes set to start July 1st, uh, they must be moving pretty quickly on this fix-it bill.
1: Yeah, Regan actually said that he thinks they may be ready by Monday to present something to the legislature, at least next week. So it sounds like uh, they're pretty close.
0: So are all the folks working on this new bill uh, the same parties that were at the negotiating table last year?
1: Yeah, exactly. The Raise Up Coalition being the big figure uh, that was behind both the paid family and medical leave provision, the minimum wage, uh, the millionaire's tax. They were proposing to bring all of these to the ballot, which sort of instigated the uh, negotiations on Beacon Hill to try and reach a compromise without having to wage expensive ballot campaigns. And the result was that uh, grand bargain bill. And, uh, you know, Regan told us that as uh, as president of AIM. He knows that the ballot process, the citizens' initiative process, has been used in recent years uh, to force through a lot of these proposals, like uh, minimum wage increases and earn sick time, which passed a few years ago, and a lot of these have been targeted at the business community. And since you can't change the citizens' initiative process, or at least there's not much of an appetite to do so, and that's enshrined in the Constitution, he wants to kind of befriend these groups and work with them rather than... Uh, foster an antagonistic relationship, the business community versus the unions and the progressive groups. So he thinks if they can work together, they can reach some compromises that work for
0: everybody. Oh, interesting. Um, Now, speaking of uh, questions that uh, might be headed toward the ballot, seem on track for the ballot, uh, uh, he spoke to you a bit about the uh, millionaire surtax question, which uh, was just advanced, we should mention, uh, in the legislature this week in a joint session. Uh, the House and Senate meeting in Constitutional Convention gave it sort of an initial approval, if you will, ordered it to third reading, uh, which tees it up for a, a full debate in June, it would seem.
1: Yes, yeah, June 12th. They set the date for that debate on uh, June 12th. They say, leaders say, they're going to have a, an amendment process, and uh, that seems to be moving
0: forward. And support for the measure seemed uh, pretty solid uh, in the House and the Senate. Uh, but uh, Regan told you that it's too soon to tell whether or not uh, enough Democrats might be able to be flipped uh, by June.
1: Yeah, yeah, I thought that was an interesting comment. I mean, Regan did make a point to say that AIM doesn't want to be seen as the anti-tax business group, but when it comes to the millionaire's tax, they are opposed to this. Uh, They say the revenue projections are unrealistic, that it's going to drive uh, wealthy people out of state, that it's going to Hurt uh, small business owners, uh, people who uh, S Corps use pass through businesses, people whose retirement is based on selling these small family businesses. So they are firmly opposed. Now, uh, the vote was 156 to what? 30. 37,
0: 34. Granted for third reading. Uh, what, what was it last uh, term? for? Uh, it
1: was. That number could go down, but the yeah. past two votes in the legislature has been 134 in support, 135. Mm-hmm. They only need 101 uh, to advance this, so there is a strong base of support there. Now, Regan said he doesn't It's too soon to say whether or not it's a foregone conclusion because he, of course, is part of this Senate working group looking at the tax code. Right, And he said that there's some people of the mind that if they can reach an agreement on a revenue package through this process, that maybe they can convince the legislators like uh, Senator Lewis and Rep. Jim O'Day and, and the leadership to drop this millionaire's tax proposal altogether and pursue revenue from another source.
0: That would be interesting to see.
1: It would be fascinating.
0: All right. Uh, We'll leave it there for this week. Uh, Thanks very much, uh, Chris, Katie, and Matt, for your uh, uh, reporting this week, and uh, Colin, who's off today. And thanks, Caitlin Bedayan, for producing this week.
1: Thanks, Caitlin. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit Masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.